Good afternoon, everybody. This is Dale Marshall, and I want to welcome you to the Twisted Roots podcast. We also have Davina Richardson and Kimberly Case. Um, thank you for joining us. So today's topic is going to be self-identity. So what does that mean, self-identity? Um, I guess I'll kick it off and and uh, define it. In my opinion, to me, self-identity is when an individual has conducted or facilitated their own self-assessment, but it's it's not a one-time thing. It's it's a it's an ongoing thing. I'm not sure exactly when it starts exactly, um, but once it is started, it's ongoing. And you assess yourself, you evaluate evaluate yourself, what you do, what you say, what you think, what your purpose is. There's so many things that can contribute to that. And so um, just knowing who you are, who you want to be. I remember taking, uh, I believe it was an abnormal psychology class, and the professor talked about incongruency uh, Mm. versus congruency. And the way he explained it was you had the person that you are, like right now. However, there's the person that you strive to be, that you want to be. But then there's that person that, that other people see you as. And so the goal is kind of to merge all of that together so it's nice and congruent and when before that happens you are incongruent so again it's like i'm this person but i want to be that person but there's still another person that other people see me as and that can cause conflict because it's like we're juggling these three different individuals so um when i'm talking to clients i'm always i always bring that up i share that with them about being incongruent versus being congruent and kind of trying to merge that those three individuals. One of the things I do say to them is that that third individual that that where other people see, and also I don't know if you guys know about Jahari, Jahari's window. Okay, Jahari's window. So just real quick, it's like a four pane window. And um, what it is, it's in one of those windows, it's things that you know about yourself that nobody knows. And in the second window, there are things that um, you know about about yourself that other people know. And then there's a window where other people see things in you or know things about you that you can't see or you don't know about yourself. And then there's that fourth window that has yet to be revealed. So again, with, with self-identity, it's constantly doing that self-assessment, doing that self-evaluation, understanding who you are like right now, who do you strive to be, who you want to be, like you're, you're the best version of yourself. And then taking into consideration like how you're perceived externally and then merging those three individuals. I'm going to pass it on. So for me, self-identity is the most basic form is knowledge of self, is just kind of understanding who you are and how you came to be that person. Um, one of the things you said, Dale, was that you weren't sure when it started. And it, I mean, all of my education says that, Erickson says it starts around 12 or 13, when we start to be more interested in our peers than our family groups. And we start to socialize away from our own families to say, oh, well, this is what I think, and this is how I feel. Um, and when we began to develop our own sense of self and our own identity, um, 
and I and I I have found that to be true with the clients that I work with. I you know parents will complain. Well, he never wants to be at home anymore. He's always talking to his friends, and he's always doing this and that. Well, a lot of that is him asserting who he is on the inside, away from mom and dad, away from family expectations and and values and customs and belief systems and really learning for himself how he feels and what he thinks and what he wants to do and who he wants to be and so um i do think it, it starts around 12 or 13 as puberty hits and it is an ongoing process of you know like you said growth and development that kind of re-evaluating and reassessment well i think i do agree with what you're what you said but i do want to add that there is a level of acceptance of that presentation that you you accept that you choose to project but i think it actually starts a little sooner than that just given the climate of how people want to impose an identity like when you were talking earlier about the parents who want to socialize their child their male child as a female mm-hmm. so that's going to be an identity that's going to be established but the question mm-hmm. is will he accept it I don't know because I, I mean I've also read that you know children's personalities are what twenty five percent formed by the time they're three years old. Uh-huh. They're five. They're seventy five percent who they're going to be at some. Wait, well, you know, it's fifty percent by. Is it seventy five percent or fifty percent by age five? Either way, it's called the formative years for a reason because right. by the time they're five, they are largely who they're going to be as bad. people. Mm-hmm. Their their personalities are almost fully developed at by age five I do feel that you go like education begins to change some of that because now they're going to school around that time so they're being exposed to things they're having a greater knowledge of like what's on television and what their friends are doing outside and they start to develop a sense of humor and kind of like they they began to get jokes around five and six and seven you go oh he laughed at you know you'll catch your kid laughing and go how did he even know that was funny? Or like, right. oh, my kid thought that was hilarious and I didn't even know he'd understand. So they're really starting to take on um, a, a lot more information than we sometimes give them credit for. But their whole identity is formulating at that time. So when you're talking about the acceptance of that presentation, that's when they start to challenge it around that mm-hmm. that puberty, mm-hmm. prepubescent, like that teeny... That's why, that is why Disney Channel exists. That's why Nickelodeon and Nick Jr. and those stations exist because here is the age where they start to say and can be influenced and can be influenced and they start to challenge what were previously their norms, mm-hmm. what they did previously. Go like, well, this is what we have to do, and they, at my house, now, I think that's how it is. Those extreme influences, like some of your cult population, some of your very dominant. It's absent um, certain just, traumas. Right. It's absent yeah, certain. Absolutely. It's definitely absent certain influences. But I think that if you're talking like that stereotypical normative kind of thing, this this is when we you know they have television shows just for that tween mm-hmm. age. It's right before puberty hits or just as it's hitting, and they began to challenge what her parents say. They began mm-hmm. to challenge authority. They began to challenge the picture that was previously held mm-hmm. up in front mm-hmm. of them. Do, do you notice that a lot of those TV shows, they they don't really have parents. The parents no. are always gone. Gone. Mm-hmm. That really irritates me. It, it just does. It's like, you know, because the kids are getting into all types of shenanigans and somehow they're so smart enough to figure all these things out. Mm-hmm. And then the parents home come home, you know, um, you know, just in just after they figured everything out, you know, and gotten all the furniture back and in everything's place, cool and uh, everything is cool and everything the, is fine, you yeah. know, and, and it's like 
I, I feel like what it, it's funny. I guess it's funny and it's cute because it's not real. You know, it's fictional. Mm-hmm. However, it's like for With a child's messaging. mind, the message mm-hmm. that what do you think you don't need like healthy adults in your life? You think you don't need parental don't. guidance? Is that what you you really believe? Like yes. you can go, and that's the thing. It's like they you're kind of set these kids up to think that they could go out into this world ill-prepared is really what you're you're doing mm-hmm. and just and figure things out. out and they'll just work out if, you, if you've ever watched bunks on disney if you've ever watched bunks on disney these kids are as young as like what six that have gone away to camp and there are no adults like all of the camp people are like 17 tops maybe 18 and these kids lie. They get, they get it. They run away. They get lost in the woods. They get trapped in cabins. Like all these things happen. And and like, when are they going home from camp? Is what I want to know. <laughs> like, when are you going back to school? I don't I don't understand. But like, um, Hey Jesse, Hey Jesse was Bunks was the spinoff of Hey Jesse. Hey Jesse, and Jesse was a teenage girl from Texas who uh, got stuck with like these four children and like a butler and there were no parents and the parents would sometimes call oh and the children were all adopted so none of them looked like it was just like the most disconnected dysfunctional family system i've ever seen on television there were literally no like and the and the butler i don't know he was like i didn't understand his purpose because he wasn't ever like the voice of reason he was always like let's do it like like right along with the shenanigans same with Sweet Life of Jack and Co- Zach and Cody. Yeah, that and these kids were like. That's why my son does not watch any of that stuff because that is not the identity. First of all, I think it's a false facade. I think it's a shortful failure. And for me, as a parent, I don't have an idea of what your your identity, your purpose, will be. You but my not. job is to guide you and impart to you those things that I hope will cause you to be happy, stable, productive. Uh, have a strong sense of your own individual a critical space. thinker, yeah, a right. processor. Right. Absolutely. And so for me, it's very important that you recognize the influences, whether they're internal or external. Because even we as parents, even we as aunties and cousins, we do impart or imprint something on that tapestry that then mm-hmm. becomes a person's identity. And right. we talk a lot about the traumas. We we know that ACEs, because that's the work we do. But correct. Yeah. But we we do have to give credence to the fact that ACEs is a plays a big role in right. identity. And we right. know it Absolutely. has a very pervasive role. And we, as we said earlier, there are a lot of people running right here that are so traumatized, so disconnected from who they really are, who they right. could be, who they and, were meant to be. Exactly. And so that's where the work begins. That's where again pulling at the doctrination, pulling at the misconceptions, the maladaptive influences, pulling at those, correcting them, addressing them, reevaluating. That's where the work begins. And I, I mean, think- I think it goes back to what Dale was saying in an earlier conversation about emotional intelligence being a part of the curriculum in school as well. Um, I don't no know. I don't know. There isn't any money, but there's no money in health and wellness anyway. Right? Absolutely. All the money is in illness. Um, but, but I do, when we're talking about self-identity though, and the formulation of self-identity, we we have to look at i think family structure i think we have to look at mm-hmm. community structure the infrastructure of community um i think that we have to look at um and i do think like we we have to talk about those outside influences and for me television music entertainment those like sports and entertainment are huge mm-hmm. parts of that i definitely believe we have to 
control the flow of programming mm-hmm. um, in order to really impart the best, um, to, to give our kids the best chance at developing their best sense Very, of self. Yes, but, but many, again, I haven't done a survey, so I'm, I haven't done any like research or anything like right. that, but, but by all accounts, from what I have observed, mm-hmm. which is part of studying and researching, it doesn't seem like parents are really... Um, focusing or paying attention to what their kids are being exposed to. It just seems like, you know, when things come up down the road, it's like parents are really surprised because they assume that, quote unquote, they've raised a, a good child and they've told the child what to do and not to do. And so that's what the child is doing. So, you know, when these things come up, when issues come up, when things become problematic, and then we start digging and digging, we go, oh, this was going on and this was happening and they were doing this. The parents are always like, oh, wow, they're the, they're the last to know. And it's because you're not paying attention. It's like you're, you're, you're in your circle and they're in their circle. And at what point do the circles meet? Overlap. I think I just touched. They need to overlap. So I, I do think that so part part of your statement I feel is true, but also feel is very heavily influenced by the work that we do. So we come in contact okay. with a certain type Cr- of family. Like population. the families that mm-hmm. the families that come that we come in contact with as clinicians are being they're, they're coming to us for a reason, mm-hmm. right? Challenge. And I don't necessarily think that's true. As a blanket I, statement across, across the board, I, I, because I know quite a few families that are very, very intentional with from naming to education to um, how they're being socialized outside of the academic environment, outside of the home environment. I know quite a few families that are very, very intentional with what what their children experience and mm-hmm. observe. So what do you say to the parent where it's like, they try to do the, all those things that you're talking about, but still, there's still issues that they feel defeated, and so they go along with the status quo because they feel like because I can't, easier. I can't fight it. Like it, what do this you say is what to it them? Is. I mean, yeah. What I mean. Well, I, as a clinician, my one of my jobs is to help them to become more resourceful, mm-hmm, right? Absolutely. So one of the things that I would suggest that they do is utilize your local library. Um, which is also a passion of mine because we all we there's a lot of conversation about eliminating libraries because books are so accessible online and I have I have a whole thing about that. But um, utilizing their local libraries, there there are gaming clubs, there are coding clubs, there are chess clubs. So like it's actually a place for free, positive mm-hmm. socialization yes. and, and engagement, right? Um, there are resources there. There's DIY stuff there. There are classes there. There are meeting rooms there. Um, there's access to computers and tutors and study study carols and all kinds of things. So like one of the, and then and then there's a free magazine that comes out. I know in Dallas they have one called uh, Dallas Child, Fort Worth Child. Um, another one called is called Thrive. Um, but there are these in the in the it's a free magazine. You pick it up mm-hmm. in the library and mm-hmm. supermarket and it has all of the family activities you mm-hmm. can do, like all, all the things that are going on in your city mm-hmm. that are free or very low cost. Um, some you can just drive through, some you can, you know, they will tell you, oh, the, the nearest bus stop is here if you're getting through on, on, on public transport. Like there are there are ways 
to increase positive exposure for your children. There are ways to be more intentional. That, but that is something that has to be taught because as Davina said, mm. it's so difficult. And if you don't know where to go for resources, you don't know where to go for support, it's very easy to, to get swept up and swept along. You go along to get along. It's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's so much easier to just not resist. But um, so, so one of my jobs as a clinician is to teach them to be more resourceful and to actually help them access resources do not just think, be like oh girl there's stuff you can find to do but actually put them put mm -hmm. things in their hands now have you seen or do you <clears> think <throat> that uh giving that giving them that information will help to solidify strengthen uh the individual parents ability to impart so that that child has a stronger sense of self or do you think that that is just something to kind of in their toolbox. I mean, it could be either way. For some families, they absolutely get overwhelmed and it's just like, oh, I'm not doing all that. Like, yeah. for, for absolutely that, but it's a work. It's a work it in is. progress. My thing is like, for some, it's just a toolbox that they, you know, it's a, it's a tool that they kind of put to the side for later. And there are others that go through and literally like highlight the free things that they're going to do with their kids. Oh, my sister would like this. Oh my, I'm going to ask my best friend and her daughter to come along. Like they get excited because like, I didn't even know this existed. So it really depends. But my job is not to determine that outcome. My job is to give them part that. Yeah. Give them the but given the topic being self, uh, identity, how do we capture all of that when we're trying to help kids navigate the space between the, the, the trend of, being, you know, pansexual, bisexual, all these little different ways that they want to self-identify. How how do you how give do them space? Them, how do we help them navigate in that's not so resources? that's not my job, right? Like yeah. I don't feel like it's my job to help them navigate that. My job is to give them space for them to to tell me what they need in that process. So see also when, that's funny that you brought that up because when I think of self-identity, I don't my sexual orientation or where I fit on mm -hmm. that spectrum. But those are cultures. They those don't they don't automically but it doesn't come, up. come into it. It doesn't come up I mean, I for me. You but... know what? There was an episode of King of the Hill, right? And <laughs> Hank says, Hank watched Bobby and Khan Super Nufophone. <laughs> and you know, he was getting into trouble in the neighborhood. And Hank had said to Bobby, There's there is a point where a guy is either gonna be a good guy or a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Like there's a point where, you know. A kid just he's he's either gonna be like good or he's go, he's gonna be bad. And mm -hmm. while I don't necessarily dwell in that paradigm of good versus bad, absolutely, I I really it was probably one of my favorite episodes of King of the Hill, which I love. But like he because he said, "What kind of guy are you gonna be, Bobby?" Like mm -hmm. he literally just asked him flat out, "Like mm -hmm. are you gonna be?" A nice guy? Are you gonna be a good guy? Yeah. Are you gonna be a kind guy, a responsible guy that takes care of your family and takes care of your home and your community? Like, what kind of person are you going to be? Right. And so, and then, and then Hank and Bobby about. are in Hank and Bobby are in the truck on the way home after he's gotten Bobby out of like some. And I don't know if Bobby had gotten into trouble with Cotton or like some kids in the night. Like, I don't remember what the trouble was because Bobby was always up to something. But it was really like. Hank just asked the question and he, he literally said like, there's a point, right? And we know, we know as clinicians, we know there's a point. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a difference between a kid who gets into trouble, like 
once or twice and it's like yo like we gotta catch him and then there's a kid that's like this kid that's the path <laughs> this is his like he's chosen yeah. his path and we work really hard not to like give up on them or throw our hands up but we have to acknowledge that like this is a series mm-hmm. of choices right mm-hmm. and so i think my job as a clinician is to hold of that mirror and ask the question who you're going to be. Who you're going to yeah. be. And now, is that a process that you apply across the age yes. spectrum? Because yes. I know we I know we talked a lot about imparting that to children. Um, Teens, but what adults, about our adult everybody. My parents, with yeah. my parents, yeah. everybody. Because my, my goal is, when you, when you, when I start working with families, one of the things on our first thing is, what do you want to change? Mm-hmm. Well, well, I don't really want to change nothing. I just don't want so so you're but so how do we do that but not even that but also helping recognize that you are cultivating your sense of identity around their perception right and is that is that functional for you is it serving you because we have a whole lot of systems i mean we we talk about we talk about, them all we talk the time. about churches and right. sometimes they can be toxic but they have their own way of projecting an identity on you you're right. supposed to not but, dress this but way. this is why i ask my families what what do you want to change? Who do you want to be? What do you want your home life to look like? Exactly. And they, well, nobody's ever asked me that because they think that my first, that I'm going to come in and go, well, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. This is what you cannot do. I'm supposed to be laying down the rules and setting the limitations and the boundaries for them. And I come in and go, well, what do you want? And then they go, well, this and that. I don't really want to do this. I don't really. And then my question is, why am I here? Right. Mm-hmm. Why am I here? At some point, something happened. And the court thought it was important that you have someone in the home to support you transitioning. What are we transitioning to? What does that look like for you? And so I, I put the onus back on them. I put the ball back in their court. For, for them to engage in some For them to engage in some What are you going to do? And where are we going? You are the person uh, steering this ship. You're going to tell me where we're going. It's new for all of us. It's uncharted waters for all of us. But you tell me where you want to go, and I'll do what I can to help you get there. And just to piggyback on what you said, because I do come across a lot of individuals where they're, they're like, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know, I don't know mm-hmm. what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and it's very interesting how you could get this far in your life and have done the things that you've done. But and, they're floating. And, and the way but you float. Yeah. You float. Yeah. yeah. And and not know who you are. And again, it goes back, again, like you said, well, who do you want to be? Like, right. how do you envision that? Like, what is going to satisfy you? What's going to please you? What's going to make you happy? Like, what's your definition of success? I ask, you know, individuals right. that pretty often, like, you know, what do you, what is it you want? Just a basic, what do you want? Help them be comfortable in their skin. I mean, that's your answer. But if you ask a kid, I've asked kids, well, what do you want your home life to be like? And I've mm-hmm. had kids say, well, you know, I want my parents to take me to the park sometimes. Mm-hmm. So really, is it they want to go to the park every day? No, what they're asking for is more engagement from their parents. What they're asking for is for their parents to be more available and more emotionally mm-hmm. connected mm-hmm. with yeah. them. They're, you know, they have somehow seen kids playing with their parents on the park and they want to experience that. Mm-hmm. They want to know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's what they're asking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had... I've had parents say, well, they just come in the house and they don't talk. They go in their rooms and shut the door. And I mean, I don't see them again until the next morning when they maybe yeah, they need money for same. lunch. Well, because they don't know what to do. Well, I don't right. want to make a man and I don't want to fight with them. They don't want to come out. They're in their room on their phones with their friends. So what is it? That, okay, so then you want to have dinner together. 
you want right. to have a game night have you guys tried an outing once a month you know maybe you don't have the money for something once a week maybe we can you can do a movie night we can do and so then i start saying well have we considered this have we tried that you know if everybody has if you've got two teenage kids everybody can literally rotate dinner twice a week mm -hmm. and then and then they maybe can have a night off with their friends or where they can you know hang out or you can order pizza or what, whatever you know what i mean but a lot of times they know how they know that they feel disconnected from their families even if those aren't the words that they use right so it i ask and see right there's a dynamic and so so sometimes i do get miss kim i don't know i don't know what to tell you i don't know where to start blah 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 and i have to do a little bit more digging and a little bit more work and i have to plan my sessions in such a way that i say well what is what does this look like maybe i got to do some team building exercises mm -hmm. to see what comes out maybe i do some role play to see what kind of reveals itself but so are we all accepting the fact that those disconnects in uh the fundamental years within the family of origin structure are detrimental to absolutely the, the development of sense of self and identity? Yes, absolutely it's good to see that it's good to because parents are our first teachers. Absolutely. They're our first role models. So if you have a parent that's struggling and unsure of themselves and not and, and don't have a strong self-identity or mm -hmm. sense of self or sense of direction, how do you think that trickles down to the mm -hmm. child? You know, one of the things that I gear a lot of my clients back to are what are your values? How about you need to revisit your values? Let's start with mm -hmm. that because they're all discombobulated. They're all over the place. They're not sure so what they want. So many of their values are just steeped in survival. <sighs> There's that. Yeah. Do you know what I yes. mean? It's like, well, Making it through the my value is like, Kim, I just want to go home and go to bed at the end of the day. I've been at work all day and I don't want to deal with so-and-so getting in trouble in the community. I want to go mm -hmm. home and go to bed. Mm -hmm um so many of the like i so i have to get up and do this again tomorrow i've got three other children i've got you know what i mean so so many of their values are steeped in survival so then that's when i come in and go if you didn't have to worry about that mm -hmm. what would your picture look like yeah. yeah so i have to again it's holding up that mirror and presenting the alternative or the possibility of an alternative and you know some people really struggle with that though because you, you can ask a person like if you didn't have to do this what would you be like? Do you ever find that when you ask kids today, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" They, say, they struggle. They do. They, say, they do. Really hard. They and do. They say, funny, that conversation not being held. It's not. Like it's not. I was asked every other all the day, time, all right? the time. Like, and you got a different answer every, every time, time. <laughs> because, because I was I changing be in my everything. mind. I did. I did. I want to do everything. I did. Right. Because I could be a woman, a police woman. I wanted to do. I wanted to be a pediatrician. Right. I believe. Right. I believe that I could do everything. Absolutely. I know. Right. These but kids, and they don't they, they don't, don't believe that so when when Con, um cornell west talks about the nihilistic that the threat of nihilistic hope like there's just you know that hopelessness mm. um when he talks about that like it's it's real i remember teaching and you would ask kids what they wanted to be and everybody wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer then at some point i started teaching and you ask kids what they wanted to be and everybody wanted to be an actress or an NFL football player. Mm -hmm. yes. And then I remember teaching and asking kids what they wanted to be and I got, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I really, really wanted them to tell me that they wanted to be a rapper or a football player because it made <laughs> me sad that they had no clue. Mm -hmm. I think they're overwhelmed they with all different images of what they should be. I, no, it's, it's really is, um, it's really, it really is a loss. 
Because yeah. when because when they had the images, you just picked one. Mm-hmm. And like Dale said, you were something different every day. But now I get, I don't know, nine times out of yeah. 10. It's the, the amount of images has not in any way increased their hope of being what they want. So quick question. Do you think it's, is, is it that they don't think they can become anything that's, because they do see images. Do you think they don't think, they think there's not a possibility or are they just not thinking about it? It's just not on their radar. Which one is it? Because we got to. I really, I think it's a combination of the both. I think that at some point they think that's for them. That's not for me. Mm. And then I think at some point there were a lot of kids like, man, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just, I'm thinking about dinner. Like I'm thinking about being able to walk home safely between school and my house. And I think that's a real thing. I mean, and and I think we cannot downplay that. And there's, I just think that there are way too many competing factors in the establishment of of the of one's identity because you have what the neighborhood says, you have what your friends say, you have what TV says, you have yeah. what media says, yeah, and, and, and so you have all these little different phenomena that are popping up, like the social media bullying and all of that kind of stuff. So when you have parents who are not engaged in fortifying and validating those pieces of that person's identity, it's definitely difficult. So thank you, Davina. Um, I think we're out of time. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up. This is Dale Marshall. I want to thank you for joining us for the Twisted Roots. We have Davina Richardson and Kimberly Case. Please join us again. Thank you.